Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. Another episode of Monday Madness with myself, Tavis Killian. Today is Monday, May 18th, and let me tell you, it's a good day. It's a great day. Nice weather outside. Been getting quite a bit of sun lately here in Golden, Colorado. Well, quite personally, I've been getting too much sun. I, I don't know if I've gotten rid of this sunburn in about two weeks now, but really, not something terrible to complain about. Hopefully, the weather is getting better where you're from, and also, hopefully, we get to get outside and enjoy it some more. Been doing a lot of jumping rope and lifting bricks in my backyard to try and stay fit, but really, I just I just want to get out, miss going to a bar, and I'm willing to stay in, but there's just something special about going out with some buddies and getting belligerent, but hey, we're not here to reminisce, are we? We're here to talk about some oil and gas news, and quite frankly, I'm a little confused right now. The June futures contract will expire tomorrow on the 19th, and I'm not really sure what's going on with the WTI prices. If you remember last month, the market crashed fresh off the weekend coming into April 20th, and we saw the lowest prices ever recorded. Today, we are fresh off the weekend with a little over $3 in price increase. The futures estimate for June is also drastically improved from a month ago. The day after April 20th, where the prices collapsed when negative, the June contract price surged 19% to only $13.78, likely as a result of Trump tweeting his threat of shooting down or shooting at Iranian gunboats if they harass the U.S. ships. Those were the orders he allegedly gave to the U.S. Navy and tweeted about, and it seems that, well, war is profitable, especially for oil and gas, and those prices did improve quite a bit. But now, today, I mean, a month ago, right? $13.78. As of recording this today, the futures price is up to $32.94 and shows signs of continuing to improve. As far as I know, the only two significant changes that could influence this pricing is China's decision to restock their national oil reserves and the first decline in crude inventory that was reported by the EIA, which was really only a measly 700,000 barrels for the week. Progress nonetheless, but nothing to really boast about, if you ask me. Even with a few countries starting to relax their pandemic-related shutdowns, I'm really doubtful that the supply has met the demand at this point, as some people probably will begin to produce a bit more to take advantage of these prices as they are now trending upwards. I like what I'm seeing with the commodities and futures prices, but I do not feel safe yet. I remember just how insane it felt to watch the pricing absolutely plummet with no notice last month, and I don't feel like we've made it into the clearing just yet. That's actually a very fun Monday Madness to listen to. If you've got some extra time today, go check that one out because, oh boy, I was losing my mind. I think by the time I finished, well, by the time I started recording, we were about $15. By the time I finished, it was about $1. And then uh, I sat here in the office with one of the other junior student associates at the time, and we just kind of watched it go under zero. <laughs> Crazy time, and I'll never forget that, but... That's that's what we've got going on this month, so keep an eye out, especially the rest of today and tomorrow, because although the futures contracts are good, I still think we have a large, large problem with the drastic oversupply of oil, so something to watch, definitely. Next up, we've got pirates. Pirates attacked a UK chemical tanker this weekend off the Yemeni coast. Fortunately, the ship was able to ward off the attackers, which is good news because the ship was a little more than 85 miles from the coast. 
The attack was perpetrated by six pirates on two skiffs, which I, I gotta say is pretty comical to imagine. Two little dinky boats going up against a, a whole tanker that I'm sure left those two skiffs outmanned and outgunned. I mean, six people. That doesn't, doesn't sound like the greatest plan, but good for them for taking a shot. Literally taking a shot as uh, shots were exchanged and the attack was stopped when one of the skiffs was disabled. This is the fifth attack in the Gulf of Aden since the start of 2020. Piracy incidents have increased about 24% worldwide this year. Well, traditional piracy, not internet piracy, although I suppose both are becoming more popular as we're all locked in at home or our governments are maybe looking the other way, depending on where we live. The World Economic Forum believes that the pirates are getting a little bit more free range as poorer countries redirect money from anti-piracy efforts to dealing with coronavirus. The Gulf of Aden is a prime target because it has a nice choke point known as the Bab el Mandeb that separates the Gulf from the Red Sea. The Gulf narrows down to a tiny 20-mile strait that is right between the territories of Yemen, Eritrea, Djibouti, and Somalia, which are rife with their own internal war conflicts, making this a pretty dangerous place to be. It's almost kind of crazy to see how it works out. I encourage you to look up a map, you know, right between, well, Africa and the Middle East with the Red Sea. Getting into the Red Sea, there's a tiny, tiny little 20-mile strait, and it looks like you're choking a balloon with a rubber band. It's almost insane how narrow it gets compared to the rest of the sea. So it makes sense that that territory is going to be targeted much more heavily than the other areas. The Gulf of Aden used to be considered the most dangerous choke point thanks to piracy, but this year, the Gulf of Guinea became the newest heir to the throne. In Q1, this hub on the western coast of Africa was responsible for 21 of the total 47 pirate attacks worldwide. Not a clue why, but things are getting pretty crazy, and it looks like some of these pirates are taking advantage of that. So, for those of you tankers out there, stay safe. Captains, crewmates of the ship, take care. And then next up, we got a little bit of Rosneft business to discuss. Russia's Rosneft pulls out of all oil and gas-related operations in Venezuela as it fears further sanctions with the U.S. At the end of March, Rosneft announced it would sell all Venezuelan assets and canceled all outgoing oil cargoes scheduled for the future. Earlier this year, the U.S. did impose sanctions on Rosneft's affiliates in an attempt to cut off President Maduro's revenue stream. The U.S. has also made it clear that they are willing to take further action if necessary. This is the stem of a larger issue worldwide that Anthony McDaniels, Rare Petro CEO, just spoke about on the Crude Audacity, I think last Thursday. The episode may not be out yet as it was live streamed, but it will most likely be edited and put onto the Crude Audacity website, and we'll make sure to link it on rarepetro.com as well, so be sure to subscribe to content there. But it was based around the attack on the petrodollar. Attack on the dollar, the petrodollar specifically, what does that mean? Well, for a while, the world has used the US dollar as a stable currency benchmark, with dozens of countries holding bonds in the name of the dollar. In the past several decades, there have been a few attempts to divest away from the dollar for a multitude of reasons, really, but most have failed. The most recent reason other nations are attempting to identify a new standard currency is for the very reason we just talked about, sanctions and tariffs. Many countries fear sanctions from the U.S. as it can dramatically impact their economies. As long as the U.S. feels a certain product or service is a threat to national security, we can justify sanction. In the sense of Rosneft supporting Maduro, that argument could probably be made for a humanitarian aspect especially in terms of Venezuela's economic collapse. 
In the case of putting tariffs on Japanese SUVs, not so much. Trump continues to abuse these tariffs and sanctions, which really frightens other countries, as it allows the U.S. to wield a lot of power over them. If they divest from the dollar and move to the yuan, ruble, or rupee, any threat the U.S. makes to interfere with trade is effectively empty. While I am doubtful the world will find another monetary standard in the U.S. oil field, it is to be noted that the world is becoming increasingly upset with a lot of the U.S.'s actions thanks to Trump. Remember last month where Saudi Aramco pledged to limit some of its production right after the United States pulled out some, well, military aid we had there, those two missile stations and about 300 troops. The U.S. holds a lot of power when it comes to the oil field, as we were one of the first people to start operating in this industry. But if our political administration, presidential administration specifically, even after Trump, continues to abuse its powers, there's only so much that these countries are going to be willing to take. So it's going to be interesting to see what political tensions we're going to see as a result of coronavirus and decreased production and all of these interconnected ties, especially in the Middle East, throughout the rest of this year. But I think that about wraps up the news I had to speak about on this episode. Please be sure to subscribe to the news content. Go to rarepetro.com. We're going to have another basin breakdown for April out later this week. Hopefully I finish that up tomorrow. So be sure to subscribe to that because we got a lot of interesting news and some good news for several basins in the U.S. It looks like operators are catching a little bit of a break from their local governments. So good news to hear. Subscribe to that content and uh, try not to get as sunburnt as I've been for a while now. It's not fun. So stay hydrated, wear sunscreen, and until we see you next time, take care. <laughs>